0: Our host, Justin Bullock. I'm without Greg Galls today, which is really sad for me. I don't always know how to behave without my co-host. So Greg, when you're listening, I miss you. I'm looking forward to seeing you again next week. Um, But part of the reason that Greg isn't with us is because we have a a special episode of Bush School Uncorked that we're really excited to share with you this week. And our guest here will be walking through what the special episode is about, um, but before we get that, uh, I want to introduce both my guests. Um, first is, uh, they're both Bush School employees and colleagues of mine. Um, Lisa Brown. Lisa, it's good to see you. Lisa is our director, director of Extended Education. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming back. Uh, we've had uh, Lisa on the podcast before, and I appreciate her coming back and visiting with us. And when we have Brian Nakamura, Brian, thanks for being here with us today.
2: Great, thank you, thank you for being allowing me to be here.
0: Yeah, and professor of practice, right? That's your official title, title, Brian. I didn't watch it. Okay, good. Greg, Greg watches mine on occasion, so I hope it's okay that I stumble through a little bit. I'm just (laughs) Brian. (laughs) Well, it's good to see you both, um, and thanks for taking the time. And to get us started, here's here's how we're gonna basically do it. We're gonna spend about forty five minutes today. Uh, Lisa's going to give us some background on National uh, Distance Learning Week um, for the reason for why we're gathered. And one of the the issues preceding the distance learning community and society more general, uh, in my opinion, is artificial intelligence. And so Lisa's going to give us some initial thoughts about the role artificial intelligence is starting to already play in our universities. You may or may not be aware of this. Um, So Lisa's going to take a few minutes. Brian's gonna take a few minutes and give some of his uh, some of his thoughts as well. I will share a few thoughts. Um, and the whole time, if you have any questions, just add them in the comments. They will be available for us to see. So please ask questions at any time that you'd like. Okay, with all of that in mind, Lisa, I'm gonna to turn to you. Gonna change our little banner here, National Distance Learning Week. Please tell us about National Distance Learning Week.
1: Oh, absolutely, I'd love to. So. National Distance Learning Week was created to create a greater awareness and appreciation for distance learning, uh, which includes K through 12, higher education, corporate and military. And um, it also recognizes the leaders and the best practices in the field. And so for the goal for National Distance Learning Week is for colleges, schools, corporations, agencies, and other organizations to conduct local events during National Distance Learning Week to celebrate and promote the field of online learning. So of course, uh, this is uh, our special event. So we partnered with Dr. Bullock to have this uh, special edition uh, podcast of uncourt about um, centering around some of the National Distance Learning Week dialogues. And uh, so we're promoting distance and online learning. And in particularly, recently, uh, people across the globe have really seen the relevancy and the value of distance learning. And a lot of that is due to, of course, the COVID-19 global pandemic that we find ourselves in. So definitely the pandemic highlighted the need to use technology and online learning due to the shutdowns that occurred as a result of the pandemic. So online learning has been an integral path to connecting and learning uh, amidst the shutdowns. And technology and online learning have has really been highlighted and utilized as never before. And um, it's been demonstrated as a tool of connection to help bridge the distances between people despite the pandemic. And for those of you who are familiar with the distance learning field and, have been a part of the distance learning field. Um, we've struggled actually for recognition uh, within education, within higher education uh, to really be more than an add-on or a new enrollment frontier. And so recent events have really demonstrated um, the need, the importance of a distance learning and really emphasize to faculty, students and many stakeholders that Yes, you can teach online and you can learn online um, it, you know, it doesn't take superhero with superpowers to teach or learn online. Um, it doesn't take an ultra techie or a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a digital native born with an iPad in your hands because certainly uh, during the pandemic, so many faculty and students who are new to online learning learned uh, how to deliver education online and successfully was able to connect with students. So definitely, I'd argue that distance learning superpower is already in each of us and the possibilities are vast and the impact can absolutely be critically transformative and life-changing. And it's interesting because when you look at the field of distance learning, And, you know, if you look, where did distance learning first begin? What's its earliest start? So um, scholars attribute it to the correspondence school school beginnings in the 1800s when people could learn via the postal service. So with the old postal mail correspondence courses, and then later on with the advent of uh, television, you had instructional television in the 50s the growth of two-way interactive video conference in the 90s, and truly the subsequent growth of web-based courses within the 21st century, and now I would argue that that next great advancement is already here, and I would say that leap in distance learning and online learning is artificial intelligence. And um, I see evidence where it already is revolutionizing both the learning experience for students and even the greater student support experience as well. So certainly in higher education, um, artificial intelligence is being actively pursued, it's being studied, it's being researched. And so just to give you just one example of the research that's going on, Uh, at Texas A&M University recently, researchers were awarded $5 million from the National Science Foundation to develop artificial intelligence enabled training platform for emergency responders. And um, that learning platform is called Learner Learning Environments with Augmentation and Robotics for Next Generation Emergency Responders. So essentially, They're working on a mixed reality learning environment with physical augmented and virtual reality components for users to learn to work effectively with nascent human augmentation technologies. So it's a new learning environment that's featuring exoskeletons and head-worn augmented augmented reality interfaces and so that first responders uh, can have a personalized Real time emergency response scenarios. Now, if that's not something you know that I used to watch out of science fiction, it's just amazing how far the technology has come with artificial intelligence, augmented reality, and these personalized responsive scenarios through artificial intelligence where you can provide learners. Um these experiences without having to necessarily have them learn in, um, in the field. You can provide those scenarios. And that's just one example. So taking it to the classroom level, um, artificial intelligence has taken the role of providing personalized and adaptive learning so that content can be tailored to the student um, based on their individual responses and based on their needs. And they have that personalized. personalized content and um, artificial intelligence, virtual teaching assistants have even uh, made a grand entrance. So for example, Georgia Institute of Technology, there was a computer science class in 2016 that had an instructor uh, um, assisting and that instructor actually happened to be a virtual assistant. So a virtual teaching assistant was helping the students. And the students at the time didn't know it was an AI chatbot. Um, so AI chatbots and virtual assistants have, have made their entrance. And some instructors now utilize automatic AI-enabled grading tools, such as Gradescope, to leverage efficiencies and to automate their grading. And most recently, October on October 29th, the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board uh, submitted a press release about utilizing artificial intelligence to expand higher education access for low-income and first-generation students via a new resource for high school students um, to utilize, and it's a conversational AI chatbot, and it's called Advi, and it offers quote proactive personalized guidance to help students navigate their way to and through college via 24/7 text messaging. And they also, um, they offer additional support via trained live advisors. So even with this Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board initiative, I think one of the interesting aspects is you see that mixture of artificial intelligence paired with those, the live um, advisors. So AI has become more prevalent in higher education and in online learning uh, which leads us to this discussion of artificial intelligence for in honor of national distance honor week um, D- national distance learning week so now i'd like to turn it i want to say something i always heard the tv commentators say that I always wanted to say now back to you dr bullock ah, <laughs>
0: that's great
2: <laughs>
0: thanks for that really nice uh overview Lisa there's a lot there that that I think will that we can get into with the time we have today and um, I really like the examples that you highlight I hope they resonate with people because um, as it being an area of of my research AI and its kind of applications it very much is already being used uh, in higher education and you highlight some some pretty clear examples and across some of these tasks too that's um, which is something we'll talk about I think, I think we could, as people who do this for a living, we could probably think of a number of tasks where having an AI that could consistently apply things could be helpful to us in the classroom. Um, so uh, one of the things that I, I want to get to in a little bit is kind of thinking through, wh- when is a good use of AI tool in a classroom? Do we want completely prepackaged AI assistance with no human role? Do we want them just kind of assisting the human? What's going to be the breadth of these types of, new types of classrooms. So, uh, I'm excited to get into that. Um, we have another, uh, distance education expert, um, with us who, um, teaches, teaches with me for Lisa, actually, as part of the extended education and the executive masters of public service and administration program. Professor Nakamura, Whoop.
2: how are you? Whoop. Good. I'm great. It's great to be here. And boy, uh, you know, I gotta tell you, uh, with you two here it, it kind of feels like wow what am i going to offer because uh, i was reflecting back and um, you know lisa you brought up some great uh, thoughts about uh, distance learning and ai and that's why you've been recognized by the state um uh, so congratulations to you on that i'll let you share that award uh, a little bit in a bit but um you know i think um, both of you brought up kind of some great thoughts about breath. You know, in the beginning, when we think when we think about distance learning, which I really think is more digital learning now, not just necessarily distance learning, is you know we were trying to reach out to a broader audience, and through that we had that capability to do so uh, through uh, distance learning. And I I reflected back about uh, what nine, ten years ago when I created my first distance learning course, um, much different than today just (laughs) because of the technology, right? I mean, we had this thing. What's this Blackboard thing? How do we write (laughs) on our computer screens? What can you do? Uh, Those things were just kind of far out there. And then what we realized really is we got more depth okay you had layers and you were able to utilize uh, different technologies for you know uh, teaching and educating and doing research uh, those types of things and then you know all of a sudden whoa what are these ebooks what do you mean i can buy an ebook online and i don't have to you know uh try to shove a book or you know hold a book up uh reverse and go this is the page <laughs> i'm talking about um so it's really changed dramatically and then uh, you know justin you brought up a Breath again? How, how much breath can we have? Should it be all, you know, what we call tech bots or should it be in the classroom? Uh, should we integrate uh, AI or how does it advance or enhance our teaching and learning uh, on both ends? And so this is really interesting because I was really kind of gunshy at the beginning of this whole distance learning. You know, is it really that valuable? Does it have that? Does it have the same experience as you would in? you know, class in residence. And the reality is, absolutely. We've proved that in the last seven, eight months, just in this short period of time of how much we rely upon this technology, how much we rely upon even artificial intelligence or any of these opportunities. And it, and I, it struck me when I was listening to uh, you and Lisa, it was, oh my gosh, this is Watson. I mean, as a tribute to Alex Trebek and uh, Jeopardy, when we, I watched that show years ago, I was just thoroughly amazed at the amount of data, the amount of information, the the activity, the actions, and the interactions. Um, but, the, but that was also very crude compared to what we have today. And so to imagine going back, and if anybody wants to go back on YouTube and watch that whole Jeopardy! show, it's amazing. At how advanced it was for the time, but then it's amazing how advanced we are today. And then where do we go from here? That's just, uh, to me, it's 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 fabulous. It's scary. It's uh, just as uh, Lisa pointed out, we got a, you know millions of dollars to do research on this, and this is that part that we wish maybe we could get help from from artificial intelligence. But it's really the humans that are creating this intelligence and advancing it uh, for the greater good, so. Great. Uh, It's it's a pleasure to be here, so um, (laughs) I'm learning from you two experts and that's an awesome thing. Well,
0: thanks for that and um, thank you for being here. Um, I'll say a few things about um, AI and its impact on education and maybe a little bit on where I see some of the opportunities and some of the challenges associated with it. So, um, where to start? (laughs) I recently uh, uh, have been working, uh, published a report uh, for another one of our institutes at the Bush School called the Mossbacker Institute, and they do these takeaways. And when I was trying to think about how to convey what I've learned about AI to a general audience, What I came up with is this idea. It's not original to me, uh, but the AI is a double-edged sword. And what does that mean? it means that uh, the term for it in the technology world is that it's a dual use technology. Dual use means it can be used to achieve positive things, or it can be used to do negative things depending on who's in charge of the tool. So let's take a hammer for, maybe an uncomfortable example, right? A hammer can be used to nail, put in a nail and build a house, can also be used as a weapon to harm someone, right? And that way, a hammer is a dual use tool, right? So what are some of the characteristics of AI? Why is everyone really excited about AI and its applications to the world? Well, it turns out for lots of types of tasks, Um, And AI can conduct those tasks to the same ability that a human can and exponentially faster and exponentially more of those tasks. Mm -hmm. So one of the real benefits is if you can get an AI to do a task as good as a human, it can keep doing it. It doesn't get tired. You don't have to train it again. Once it can once it can learn to read and interpret things, it can always do that. It doesn't it doesn't die or doesn't have to start over from square one. So there are a lot of things already that AI can do better than humans at scale, things that you wouldn't think of. So this is image recognition. Um, essentially, um, it surpasses humans on lots of basic image recognition tests and natural language processing. Its ability to understand the text it's put in, interpret it, and provide a useful uh, feedback, mm-hmm. and its ability to kind of adjust, as Lisa was saying, across personalized input.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The most classic example of this in the modern world is one that most people don't think about, but is getting a lot of attention now because of what it's doing to our political system, which is both Facebook and YouTube work off of very intelligent art of artificial intelligence.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Facebook is trying to predict what you are likely to click on. It's the mm-hmm. smartest tool in the world to predict your next click. And it knows it better than you do because it has all of these points of information on you. Mm-hmm. Facebook knows with almost perfect guarantee certainty when they sell an ad delivered to you in the perfect way that you're gonna that you're gonna click on that post. Google's the same way. They know they're essentially selling companies on your future behavior because these AIs have been trained on you. All right. There's some good things there, right? You get some nice recommendations from Amazon. You get linked to things that you would like to be linked to. I find all these books on artificial intelligence that I would never have found without artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. But herein lies the, the problem. As I said, those algorithms that Google uses and that Facebook used to sell you things know you better than you know you, which means they can influence your behavior when you don't know your fa- behavior is being influenced. And that's a problem that we're wrestling with as society. It is, I think, one of the main reasons that our polarization in the U.S. has become as extreme as it has. Facebook was actually used to conduct a, to spread misinformation to help conduct a genocide in Myanmar not too long ago. So these tools are being already being used to micro-target individuals to influence their behavior to both buy things and influence them put politically. So, this is maybe not good. Some of this is not good, in my opinion. But if you think about applying it to education, the same types of logic apply. So, we can, with some real amount of data on a student, we can know when they need feedback, what level of feedback they need, where they are in their learning process of getting them to some standard we need them to learn. And individualized feedback feedback can be tailored to them. I mean, essentially perfectly, much better than any reasonable professor, even that's been doing it a long time, could consistently perfectly catch where the student was. Maybe in a classroom of three, but not after a classroom after about 15. So AI could be trained on students to personalize their learning experience in ways that no teacher can match um, already, just like no no salesperson or no ad person can, can beat Facebook ads and Google ads anymore. They just, they just can't. <clears throat> so done perfectly AI can set it done well. AI can set up students <clears throat> to get personalized feedback better. I think than a professor can after it gets over about five or 10. Mm-hmm. So think about what this means for access. If we have, say, we mix Starlink with which, which is what SpaceX is, SpaceX has ventured to put uh, high-speed internet in satellites that anyone in the world can reach. And then you match that with courses that have intelligent teaching assistants where someone like Brian and I make the material that's then sent out in a 100 or a 1,000 or 10,000 classrooms where we've given the content and an intelligent teaching assistant is managing people's um, <clears throat> learning process. You could educate an entire population of people on a specific, clearly defined subject with essentially one human. Now, with all that in mind, there is a lot of evidence that the students that already struggle to learn and how, we, uh, how we're how we using some of these tools already doesn't make it easier for them to learn. They actually have a harder time navigating the barriers, have a harder time with, uh, to by not getting the human touch, the personalized feedback, the kind of kind of uh, mentor relationship. So it's not really whether or not there's going to continue to be a need for those things, um, and in elite institutions, um, Aggies probably I don't know if they want to be called elites or not, but. Um, uh, Texas a is an elite education institution <laughs> and an elite research institution when you look out across the world. <laughs> yeah. And so in these elite institutions, it's going to be really interesting too because one of the things that we have seen with uh, Google and Facebook and other digital industry things is we have this winner-takes-all effect.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so one world in which I can imagine is that we have these star professors doing a bulk of the content, and then you have a lot of other professors kind of in the, in the elite institutions, providing that touch that, that students can afford for, and then expanding access to maybe billions of people um, to education that wouldn't have had it otherwise. And if you mix in natural language processing and an ability to interpret kind of different languages, you could imagine teaching statistics, for example, or economics, two of the courses that I teach for the Bush School, at a scale in any language, Um, just as long as they had a good written book in that language, good tutorial videos like the ones we created in our program, you can imagine some pretty crazy scale-up benefits to help with inequality and students who would not have had access to these opportunities in the first place. And this is where, as I wind down, the real promise, I think, for AI and distance learning is it is some in our students at the bush school um, it, it, there are going to be ways i think that Brian and i's uh, grading could be done more effectively and more quickly just like we done with we do with the way in which we grade some of our standardized tests mm-hmm. so there will be some access, there will be some ways to improve it in our classrooms but my prediction is that within 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 our program but also within programs throughout the world what it's really going to do is allow high quality automated education to not mimic what you and I do, but to come close enough so that the students who had no access can now get access at a hundredth, a thousandth, a millionth of the cost that if instead of having to pay us to engage in a classroom of 20 to get that feedback.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. (sighs) That was my, uh, that's my best guesses about this. There are a lot of opportunities that can really dramatically change education for the better. We also run the risk of facing more of the criticisms that have like distance learning is that when it's used as an add-on or used to save money or used to just bring in more students without careful integration, you end up with with real concerns about the quality of education. Um, but the AI systems are much smarter than that if they're de- if they're well-developed. It can actually address the quality concerns and the access concerns and the feedback concerns all at the same time,
1: uh, Dr. Bullock. You brought up so many great points and and so much great information and um, to talk about. So one of the first things you know that um, you pointed out uh, was essentially this issue of okay. Um, You know, for example, with Facebook, you you get shown ads based on what you're searching for. So it kind of reinforces your thought process and any preconceived notions or preconceived ideas. And I do think that's one of the dangers in artificial intelligence is you do have to be very careful that whatever algorithms, whatever you're programming, um, that you don't want to program in intended biases. You want to use it morally, responsibly, you want to just make sure that you have that ethical piece in play and that you're thinking through uh, all the various different scenarios because you know what we wouldn't want is a world just taught with one perspective and one view um, and not get the value and the benefit of discussions, just like we have here, real human valuable discussions where we can all bring in um, our own thoughts and experiences and come together. So I think that's a very important point about artificial intelligence that we have to be aware of. And and as you were talking, it reminded me of um, recently, I was made aware of um, of an article about how in China, students were given headbands and these headbands, uh, what it did is it monitored their brain activity to make sure they were paying attention in class. And so the instructor could see, based on what the light on their headband, whether or not they were paying attention. And, and, and this was at, in, in China, at a town in China. And of course, it raised all kinds of uh, flags where people were concerned. And, and they thought it, it was an invasion of privacy. And uh, what's interesting, the headbands and even having an app so the parent could see if their child was paying attention or not. Uh, based on the brain brainwave uh, activity. So then high-tech surveillance and even using these um, instruments uh, to monitor that you know there becomes issues of even privacy and um, you know what is the best use of that artificial intelligence and that technology? So I think there are some extremely critical important issues and um, that we just all have to be cognizant about. As, in, as learners, as instructors, and um, as administrators in higher education, and think through, and even such issues as data security, critically important. Um, you don't want net, you know, the data getting out on your students, on their performance at, at any rate. So you wanna make sure that whatever technology you implement, uh, that it's secure and safe, and there's that data security piece. And I think it's critically important. Now, I do think AI can definitely, we can leverage efficiencies. Um, You know, the beauty of it is that we can use it for things like early warning systems, predictive analytics, um, helping to identify the needs of students. But like anything else, you know, just like you were saying, Dr. Bullock, the tool, it's a dual use tool. We have to use it as a tool and use it responsibly.
0: Yeah, the surveillance piece I think is a is a big part of this that's playing out in the in the workplace as, as well as people are uh, in COVID times working from home. Um, lots of folks are, and the question is how close to you, how close should companies surveil their their uh, employees? And the same question applies to students. I mean, could you imagine? I'm trying to think of me at like twelve or or, or thirteen responding to a headband put on me and. Uh, and then being afraid that my light might go off if I'm not focusing. I mean, that just seems like a recipe for neuroses. Um and, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. then
1: I'm wondering, how do they know that you're actually focusing on the content? I wonder if you could trick it to focus
0: on <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're focusing yeah. intently on something else, but you're just <laughs> focusing. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, you know, those are, you know, to complement what uh, Miss Brian was saying, it, it is exactly that. It's the ethics component. It's the integrity it's the interpretation, right, of how we're managing this AI platform. And then, um, you know, how do you measure how um, that kind of integrates uh, well within the course it, that you're teaching? And, you know, um, I, I thought of the three things, the three I's were, in, you know, interpretation, integration, and inculcation, where, where you, you know, you can't, measure that really i mean you can you can do that course content management things like that but uh you know that i always fall back on we're human beings okay so we um intrinsically have curious minds okay so it's no different than when we say hey we're not telling you what to think we're teaching you how to think right how to be critical thinkers and in order to do that you know everybody develops different skill sets different parameters and you know you can of course uh create algorithms that can address that and um we know that uh but the reality is you know we're still independent thinkers and uh we want to have that ability to be able to that. otherwise we wouldn't be here talking today uh, about this very topic uh, and you know uh, dr bullock you raised some very important questions about the hammer right you can use it for a great as a tool or it could be used to harm and uh, we've seen, as you said, uh, in many instances where we have harm, uh, the bots, those types of things being sent out, the information. And I think that's the, that's the key is to filter that information, right? And be able to, and what filters do we use that don't create that bias, as uh, Ms. Brown said, because that's a big factor, bias in ethics and morality. And and those are questions that we're going to have to deal with. Um, And that's a policy issue. I mean, we were dealing with that in local government in terms of policy. How much information is too much information to be shared uh, uh, in terms of uh, not just data, but where we're collecting the data? Um, We had very much, uh, very big concerns about location. Are we purposely uh, collecting data from uh, disadvantaged areas of our community? And how is that, you know, compared to other areas in our community? And should we even be making inferences, or should we even be making judgments about that data we're collecting? Because that's very sensitive to uh, people and and place. Um, you know, we want our opportunities to uh, have that sharing, but we also want that privacy too.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, you tackle so many there, and, and one of the things that that struggled me at the beginning of it, that struck me at the beginning of it, was the, the importance of the kind of creativity and in the, in the human piece of it. And it reminded me of you know this adage in, um, in management, which is you get what you measure. And mm-hmm. um, it, we have to be really careful with what types of incentives we give students as we use AIs to either help grade or help deliver um, uh, resources or material, because whatever types of things we're asking them to do and giving them grades on are the types of behaviors you'll get. Um, which is what we learn from public management. Um, So we need to be really careful in how we design these uh, to make sure we're rewarding, not everyone having the right answer or not Mm -hmm. everyone conforming to some basic response. There's still got to be a way to build in a reasonable amount of original thinking and creativity. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think a lot of this comes down to, which I think we're all in agreement, what types of classes in what ways in what programs uh, and to what ends, right? Is it better that we have a, an intact class that can be translated to any different language to teach basic math with a self-guided kind of approach? Probably, right? if we can get that out to people who don't know math, that's better than them not knowing math um, or statistics or learning a language. But for lots and lots of more specialized knowledge in particular, it's so much more about the discussions and the interactions and it's much harder to clearly define what's success or what, uh, what you should report for a, for a good grade. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's going to, I think it's really going to be based on, you know, the type of task that we, that we assign it to. Mm
2: -hmm. Great point.
0: Well, I think we're at about our um, 40 minute mark or so. Um, So I really appreciate the two of you, taking time um, to chat about this this evening. Thanks to Lisa for the idea and Brian for uh, being brave enough to join us uh, live (laughs) on the podcast. um, I'm still scared. (laughs) (laughs) We got through the What's Next event before the election, Brian. I feel like we can get through anything together. Absolutely, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Lisa, it's always a pleasure too. Um, I really really appreciate you uh, bringing this idea to us and uh, giving us an excuse to talk about um, AI and distance learning.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being here and uh, being a part of this podcast. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it.
2: You're quite welcome. And uh, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Oh, no, I'm a lifelong learner. So the more I can glean from both of you, the better off I'm going to be advancing my knowledge. So thank you. Thanks, Brian. So our next recording is
0: next Tuesday. We're going back to Tuesday evenings. um, So only five days from now. Uh, Tuesday, November 17th at 6 p.m. Hopefully Greg's back with me so that I don't have to carry the load all by myself. Um, But we will have Dean Mark Welch with us as well. And we'll be talking about a number of issues related to the Bush School, leadership, uh, public service, um, and just kind of have a one-on-one chat with him for a little while. So uh, very much looking forward to having uh, Dean Welch with us next week. Thanks again, Lisa and Brian,
2: for being here. And uh, thanks to the audience for listening along.
1: You're welcome.